taking the podcast to Isengard. We bought a Gollum or Schmeagol. Second time. Bought a mic. We bought a towers. Make that two. Um, two, please. Is that that's the saying, right? To for what? <laughs> <laughs> um, is table this, for two, please. Is this a Lord of the Rings podcast or a nine eleven podcast? Oh, you, you be wow. the judge. Never forget. Mm-hmm. Never, never. The Twin forget. Towers. My favorite See, Lord of the Rings. I mean, movie. I was. I didn't I didn't look it up, but I'm 100 percent sure I was saying this while watching like some producer was like, I, we can't call it this, man. Like there, <laughs> there was a conversation, <laughs> you know, this is 2003. They changed the name of the book. It was Twin Towers for like 50 years. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, good, good thing um, I did that research just now where yeah. I brought something up so Brett could do <laughs> research. The book corner. Yeah. Um, hey, hello. Hi. How's everybody doing? On hey. the show today, talking <laughs> Le Two Towers, the Lord of the Rings colon, the Two Towers, uh, continuing our watch through, gearing up for the Academy Award Best Picture winner, Return of the King, next week with mm-hmm. Hunter's uh, watch through of the Best Picture winners. Um, I do think, aren't we... Um, Aren't we scrapping the whole episode today and just talking crash? Is that yes. the plan? Yes. Um, so I'm springing this on you guys. Uh, we are actually not going to do any more Lord of the Rings because, guys, my racism has been solved. Oh. Fine. I mean, because, thanks, thanks because to of the Tolkien best picture or? winner uh, oh, that no. is uh, that is Crash. No, we'll. Uh, I I'm I'm going to speak on that. Um, right now, or are you saying? Well, it? let's. Introduce are you going to continue speaking? <laughs> okay. I'm Ernest. I am um, Crash Enthusiast Hunter. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> and I'm Brett's friend, Drew. And who else? Who else do we have? And I'm Brett. Special guest. We, He's back. What's just, up? Welcome back. We should just uh, like introduce ourselves. Like, yeah, I'm Jeffrey's friend, Hunter, and like make it sound <laughs> like we have so many friends. I'm Legolas's friend, actually. And and Gimli too. You can you, you can get in there. Can I get the crash uh, thing out of the way? Because so just get it over with. You have one breath. <laughs> well, that, all right. And that thank, was you, thank you very much. That's about it. That's so I, I did this whole Oscar watch through. Honestly, if I would have start with started with um, the 2005 film Crash, I would have never actually gone down this wormhole. Um, this is a movie that I remember seeing it early in college and I didn't hate this movie when I saw it. I was I was very young at the time. I was very naive. Um, I was just like, wow, OK, this is a movie that's trying to say something. OK, this is fine. Um, and it's kind of clowned on as the worst Beck's picture winner. So today I just decided to like, all right, I'll throw this on and just see what happens. Um I think Crash is like the worst film of the 21st century, mm-hmm. not just Best Picture winners. Um, wow. It is uh, actively harmful in its portrayal of racism in every way. Uh, for people who don't know Crash, it's a movie. It has a star-studded cast um, directed by Paul Haggis. Um, 
Haggis. Haggis. That's a that's he a won, meal that you can have. He won back to back best screenplay Oscars for a Million Dollar Baby, which is a real bummer with a mediocre script, and then this movie, which he wrote and directed. Um, and I despise this dude. I know he made like Walker Texas Ranger or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and that's about. And I think that Chuck he wrote Norris. Quantum of Solace. Maybe he wrote Casino Royale. Casino as well. Royale. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah both. Um, but he it, also wrote the Quantum of Solace video game. Neat. Um, this is a movie that. Oh my god! Uh, he also wrote COD Modern Warfare Three. Sick. Um, so that's what he's doing in the last ten years. <laughs> um, this is a movie that uh says that racism that you're actually you're only racist if you actively call people the n words. Um, and oh, wow. that's uh what racism is, and there's no subtlety. Uh, this movie handles the uh, delicate subject of racism with all of the grace of a Warhammer. Um, it is just very An Urukai Warhammer, you would say. Very harmful. Um, I think this movie, I it kind of works better as a farce than it does about anything else. The reason why this is uh, the worst movie of the twenty first century. Over like Hallmark movies and the Tommy Wiseau's and the fateful findings and stuff like that. The world is because this movie is trying so hard to be important. And you can just tell that this is just somebody who's just like sitting there writing this down. They're like, oh, yeah, he's going to tell that black detective like oh, fucking black people. Am I right? Un- yeah, that scene, scene is that unbelievable. Happens in this so movie. how does this tie into the crashing cinematic universe? Um, Pete Holmes. Well, I that's what's crazy is that Pete Holmes Actually, like Matt Dillon is playing Pete Holmes okay. as the racist cop who sexually assaults yeah. Tandy Newton. Who really wants to do comedy, but his wife just left him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I just wanted to bring that because I've been thinking about it all day and it makes me actively angry. I think that a uh, you know, friend you of the pod, Harry, said that uh, Crash is if a high school drama club gained sentience and became a film, <laughs> which is the best uh, thing that I've heard about this. Movie. You don't have to do this. It's too late. At this point, I'm already this far. I'm like 15 <laughs> years out. I'm just I'm like at the finish line right now. I had to push through the King speeches, the artists. Oh. 2000s are horrible. The 2000s honestly might be the worst group of best picture winners of any decade. Is it a hobby? Um, <laughs> so I had my friend Harvey come to me um, oh, at the beginning of this year, and he was just like, look, um, I have one wish before I go to prison, and that's that you watch and review every film uh, for the Academy. And I said, no, you're a disgusting person. I won't do this for you. And then my friend, um, really, really good friends with him, uh, Bong, um, director Bong, he just was like, hey, I just want to know, like, where do you think my film Parasite sits in the echelon mm. of the great best picture winners? Mm-hmm. And that's what started me on this trip. So I started oh. from 1927 uh, and I've been going forward. So 1927. Yep. Yeah. The first he, he watched a real, what is that? What is that one called? Like train coming um, towards the camera? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. I, okay. I was going to say for the best, here's a little preview of the Oscar best picture winner. So uh, the first movie wings, uh, it's all shot black and white. It's a silent film. One of the most fascinating things about these older films is reading about the production behind them. Uh, multiple people died while they were shooting it because it involves like airplane pilots and stuff like that during World War One. And uh, actors aren't pilots. So, like, they were just driving just, planes yeah, like, around. Died. A bunch of idiots. Yeah, the, just, the, like, first, flew planes into the, the, the first couple were black and white silent and just gifts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a good gift. point. That's exactly what they were. Um, Are you not a fan of two and a half hour silent films? Brett? Oh, you seem like it seems like your cup of tea. So where does Crash figure into your list? Have you put it in yet? Um, well, for that, you'll have to wait until no. the episode. Hunter, no. The he's getting, he's getting like a whole on your door. Hunter, no. no. We're going to do a whole wrap yeah. up. It's going to be a Hunter. That's kinda, uh, that's kinda so cool. it, if my voice just really irks you, then you can tune out. So one, one of the things uh, I want you to prep for is so, so far we've done Midnight Cowboy, uh, Silence of the Lambs. We're about to do um, what's it called? Turn Return. I guess you could also count uh, Parasite in there. So I guess we're at a, we're at a four tally right mm -hmm. now so maybe pick six others to round out a 10 that we should do episodes I, who's on. to say that those four will even make it my top 10 oh there's some good movies well i'm not saying necessarily your top 10 i'm gonna have a top 10 and i'm gonna have a dishonorable at least a dishonorable five okay well stay tuned for that big uh best picture episode coming up soon uh, before we get to Two Towers, I did want to shout out a couple of things I've been watching this week. First of all, Pen15 on Hulu. Hey. Binged the whole first season. About time, brother. Yeah. Come on. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why I put it off for so long. It's really it's, good. It's extremely cringe, and it's taken me a while to get into a mood where I'm into the 30-minute the cringe comedy. Uh I don't know. I, I've just been yeah. watching a ton of like Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. So I was just like really in that sort of fantasy headspace. And, you know, we're doing Lord of the Rings. But um, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give this a shot. I also watched the first episode of Lovecraft Country. Uh, it was good. Um, I don't know if I'm going to watch the rest of the season as of now. But Pen15, amazing. So funny. So well done. Not only is it hilarious, but it's like kind of sad too. There's like a sadness to it that is extremely affecting mm -hmm. where these, these, the experience of being a child of being a 13 year old is just captured in such like a perfect way in this show where it's not just like, whoa, zany, wacky stuff. It's like actually a little bit heartbreaking and a little bit like creepy sometimes mm. and just kind of off-putting it just gives you this nice mix of all these emotions that's really really well done and if you don't know listeners the two main characters are 30 year olds playing 13 year olds and you completely lose yourself in it it's but it's you buy it 100 the key decision that's made around that is that all of the other 13 year olds in the show are 13 year olds <laughs> yeah and they're great they're all genuinely great. It, uh, it works because of how well everybody acts mm -hmm. in that show. Yeah, there's I really love that show. I'm glad that you finally uh, checked it out because it is just so, so good. You are right about how sad it is that it really captures this like kind of middle school state of melancholy where you were just this ball of angst and emotions and you yeah. don't know what to do with yourself. And it's kind of like. The closest thing in recent memory it's come to that is eighth grade, which is I know is a movie that's no. What's what's that cartoon with Nick Kroll? Uh, big Mouth. Oh, big, well, Big yeah. Mouth. That, that's like yeah, the yeah. alternate universe version of this for sure. I think. But I think Big Mouth go goes way zany and wacky mm -hmm. yeah, with the yeah. with the characters with the 
you know, the David Thewlis shame monster and the. Yeah, but it's pull, they're both pulling. They're like, what's the most awkward time in yes, everybody's life? Right. And th- I think that there there are some cool parallels to eighth grade. Like there's this one moment with the band, like the just the whole idea of like the band and the orchestra. And I was like, oh, man, this is this is straight out of eighth grade. But Pen15 isn't trying to be naturalistic as something like eighth grade. It can go a little bit more wacky. So in that band sequence, you have one of the characters just like enter this like way out there headspace where she just goes off with this drum solo. And it's like mm-hmm. so well, an- crazy. Another thing that's cool about it is because it's not set in contemporary times. I mean, the it's creators. Like the year 2000 or yeah, something. the creators are a couple years above us, but they are still like kind of vaguely in our generation. Like there's a whole episode that's about AIM and everything that like I deeply remember just like sitting on aim and like not even having friends, but just like messaging my two friends for like hours at a time. (laughs) And then, yeah. So it's, uh, it's really, really cool, but without becoming like a nostalgia trip at any point. Yeah. One, one like rule about the show, like unspoken rule is that because they're 30 years old, if they act really well and it's written really well, you have those really realistic, like emotional, pieces right but you can't yeah. always be taking them seriously so it has to be funny a lot yeah. of the time in each episode their performances are so good though because they're able to be to be at that level while still behaving like a 13 year old so you're still getting a really good performance out of these two women and their like mannerisms and just like body <laughs> movement and everything is like very childlike so it's just it's one of a kind. I, I can't recommend it enough. I'm so glad that I finally uh, caught up with it. Season two starts uh, in two days. We're recording this on a Wednesday. Drops Pen, this Friday. Pen 16, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, well, I get it if I didn't watch the first 14 seasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, also on Hulu is Rami. Mm-hmm. Uh, just caught up with season two. I was a little down on it when I first talked about it when I started the season, but I powered through it. It is like extremely uncomfortable. There's just some episodes where just like, oh boy, this is rough. Oh man, this is extremely cringe. Um, but it's good. It's a good show. Good performances. Um, there's one episode in particular that focuses on the uncle character. You guys remember the uncle, mm-hmm. the the Diamond District guy. Yeah. Uh, really, really standout great episode focusing all the way on him. Really love that. That's like one of the best parts of the whole season. Um, it's, it's a little hit or miss. I think that the first season's a little better, but overall I was pretty happy with it. The very last episode, I think kind of brings it home. You get more of Mahershala. Mahershala is honestly not a huge player through the whole season. I would imagine it'd be hard to book him for that much time. Yeah, but he comes in at that last episode. He doesn't have a lot of time, but the little bit that he does is like so affecting. And remember last time I talked about this, you're asking if they brought up the event that happens at the end of season one, the cliffhanger. And I said, not really. They wait until the finale of season two. And holy shit. <laughs> it is and this something. time, this time he's fucking his sister. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of look alike, the cousin and the sister a little bit. I will say I was kind of confusing him. Um, 
but <laughs> it it works, man. And really the whole conceit of this season is like Rami is a horrible person and he is trying to basically hide that or cover that up through being a devout Muslim and like being really into his faith. And he thinks that like if he embraces Allah and if he goes all into the faith that it'll be okay. It'll like absolve his sins essentially. And the, the, the story, the way the story plays out, it's like, no buddy, no, you can't, you can't do that, man. You can't just pretend like your behavior isn't toxic and your actions don't have consequences. So it was a little tough to get through, but by the end I was like, okay, it was pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty solid. Good stuff. Good work, Rami. Hopefully uh, season three is uh, happens. I mean, I don't I don't know if they're even going to shoot it, um, but I enjoyed it. Um, so that's Pen15 and Rami on Hulu. Let's get to Dun, 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 Dun. <laughs> We should each have our own like uh like how they do the fellowship music. Like we should each have a little uh little instrument that comes in. And then whenever we all scream over each other, you get the full chorus going. You know which one I really like? The one that's like all in on Isengard. The um bum 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 so I mean, you brought the music. Uh, this has, I think, my favorite piece of music in the entire Lord of the Rings uh, series. It's up there, um, which is the King of the Golden Hall. It's the music that plays for um, Theoden. Yes, it is so good. I just I listen to this like piece just about as much as I do just actual fellowship theme. Wow. So, so good. Before we dive in, I wanted to ask you, Brett. Were there any things, any items from Fellowship that we didn't touch on that you felt like would be a good thing to bring up or maybe to lead oh. us into Two Towers? Because I know you had a whole list. I did think about that. And I try to guide the discussion quite a bit, which you guys let me do. Like, because I, I, I try to come in with, I have all my notes and my thoughts, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I like to prepare questions. So that's kind of how I like to guide the discussion. But I did think about that. I thought about it in two different ways. One was that, holy shit, we covered a lot of Lord of the Rings at large. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to, I'm thinking about this at the beginning of the movie. How is there going to be enough for us to talk about here? And at at the end of the movie, yes, there is. But also I watched all of the special features for Fellowship, which I think Ernie did too on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you could have a whole episode just on the fucking Fellowship. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I really didn't want to get into that because it's so much. It's such a right. fucking rabbit hole. It's fascinating, though. But other than that, you, you know, nothing else. Well, how did we think about this movie? Do we think it's better, worse, about the same? I don't want to uh, put them up against each other. I think they're friends. These okay. two movies. I think they're best friends. And I think they're so different. Mm-hmm. They Well, they're vastly different. Um I think this one struck me as better, even though I think I may have liked the first one better in a vacuum. They're very comparable in terms of quality, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this one struck me as better because so, so much of the time sequels are bad. 
Yeah. And it's not because sequels are inherently hard to make. It's it's for capitalistic reasons. It's because uh, sequels tend to be more guided by producers rather than creators. And so you end up with crowd pleasing movies that feel nothing like the original. And this isn't that this is like part of a grand arc. Like the pitch was three movies. Yeah. So he didn't have to sell them on a second movie with a good hook. It's a, it's the, you know, some of the greatest books ever written. Uh, so I appreciated this one more because the world was established and it showed what a sequel should be able to do, which is continue a story from the first one. Well, the the crazy thing is that we're seeing one full story play out in three different parts. It's not the usual thing where like you have one movie and then it's sort of continued in a sequel and then maybe they'll do a third one. Like look at something like Back to the Future. You know, that's not one long story necessarily that that plays out in, in three parts. You know, th- there's a lot of trilogies that find ways to link them together. Um, and you know, you have varying degrees of success with that, but this from the jump, you know, that it's like one piece of the story per movie, all adding up to the greater whole. So this is the middle piece. So you have a situation here where you don't get all the fun of introducing you into the world of fellowship and, and, and yeah. gearing you up for the adventure. You don't get much, you don't get shire, you know, <laughs> and, and you also don't get the payoffs of return. So you're kind of stuck in this middle portion and it has a really tough job, this movie to be worthy and to be great. And I think it nails it. It's a, it's a tough thing for it to do. And I think it, it's a tough ask, you know, to not have a real, beginning and a real end but it nails it yeah you it, said it that, feels like a mini series it doesn't feel like three movies that that is true but i do think that one thing that one thing that makes this trilogy stand out is that it doesn't have a classic like part one part two situation that like like think about harry potter deathly hallows part one part two where each of them feel like incomplete movies that's a good point like this these movies even if it is the middle chunk of this adventure, there is still a first act, second act, third act. There is still like a conclusion to this movie, even if it isn't the conclusion to the story as a whole. I think it's there worth- is some character arc that happens over this film. It's interesting that you say that because I think it is worthwhile to consider what's different about this compared to like Harry Potter in those other similar movies yeah, around the time. That, well, their approach to that was the opposite of this. They were like, we're going to hand this off to a different director each time. Which is fine. And we're yeah. going to listen to the fans' feedback and all this yeah, stuff. And, yeah. yeah, and also, in addition to all that, a key difference, honestly, is craft. Uh, the the level of craft in these, this trilogy is just, yeah. you know, can it's I, unrivaled. Can I just say, The Lord of the Rings makes Harry Potter look like community theater. <laughs> Even like Azkaban, which is my favorite Harry Potter movie that I think like stands alone as an incredible film because mostly because it has Alfonso Cuaron at the helm Mm. for that one. But even still, like this is just on another. It's on another echelon. Well, also the source material is on another echelon. Uh, You're telling me that J.K. Rowling is not good. Good. Just her books. I love everything else. I mean, it, the source material is different because Harry Potter at the end of the day, like 
I really, really loved those books growing up. Um, I was very young. I did not know J.K. Rowling was a absolutely diabolical person. Um, well, none of us did. Yeah, none of us knew at the time. She but they're, who must not. But be they're made. young adult books. They're made for yeah. kids. It's a it's day. a more contained world. It still contains. You know, there's plenty of uh, world building behind it, but we have a home base in that world. There's no home base in this world. We are going all over the fucking earth. Right. Also, you don't trilogy. you don't have J.R.R. Tolkien tweeting like, oh, actually. Gandalf shits himself while he's fighting have, the Balrog. So I have. I, I want to. I know. Actually, gay. He's a gay icon. <laughs> he is though. He, he is. Him. Yeah. I, I want to address first of all what Drew was just talking about and Ernie about how you don't have this like payoff of like going home or, or whatever it is. So and this goes back to the D and D comment you made. I think it's there's there's no way to put yourselves in the shoes of like an antagonist here. You you're all the way in on just being with like your cooperative friends here trying to fight against the singular evil. Yeah. yeah. And, and we also, an, another great thing to do. And I think all these movies is they introduce us to people who are not pure heroes, but are end up on the right side of things. Um, and not pure villains too. Well, like no, that's Gollum in here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there are murky characters that we can introduce to that we have time to doubt and dislike, but, uh, I mean, at least I never doubted that they would end up helping. You, Frodo, you never, you, know? you never actually question anybody's motivation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you are right though that that is something that's interesting about this story than most anything else. Most other stories are like, well, we have a true good protagonist, and then we maybe we'll have a complicated villain. Or yeah, something it's like, like oh, that. Voldemort. Is, yeah, he maybe he, uh, he maybe he's okay. Yeah, where this is just like we do have pure evil. Sauron is like the embodiment of pure evil but also like we don't have pure good on the other side like they have all of our heroes that we are going around are being pulled in all these different directions and trying to make these very very complex and nuanced decisions to try and figure out what would be the best good for that time you know why now that you're elaborating on that i think it goes back to what i saw in the special features where they talk about tolkien's uh early life and why he wrote this and a big part of why he wrote it was because there was no mythology around, you know, mm-hmm. his people. It didn't exist. Yeah, the English. So if you think about it mythologically, that's how it always works out. You have mm-hmm. like these true goods and these true evils, you know, no matter where they came from, sure. that's where they end up. Yeah. I, and also the point of Peter Jackson telling his art department to pretend like this is real, like this yes. is based on true events. So when yes. they're designing everything the costumes the sets the miniatures like everything they had peter jackson was like i'm gonna sound crazy but just pretend like we're getting the chance to shoot in the locations where these events actually occurred and that we have to be as accurate to the real events as possible to that point these movies i meant to bring it up on the last episode but they're really good at telling location without like showing you points on a map like you can feel okay these characters are over here in this place and these characters are over here in this place and without like explicitly saying like Frodo and Sam are walking down this trail right here by this mm-hmm. mountain path on their way here. Yeah, well, well, the extended edition does have a map. If you the, pull out the, the box insert, there I, is a yeah, little map. Yeah, that's, that's, that's in the, the book, map, too. Yeah. You get the maps. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of goes back to what I said about the first movie, which is because you were asking, how does he keep the more passive audience on board through this? Like, why did everyone like this? 
And I part of what the answer was like his establishing shots just go and go like he shows you the whole location wherever mm-hmm. they're going. And that pays off in fucking dividends once we're entering like war. You know, once yeah. we're entering a grand fucking right. sweeping battle, oh, you yeah. know, you're totally right. You know where every individual group of people is. And you, it's fucking incredible. Yeah. You know exactly what Helm's Deep looks like from like five miles away. Yeah. And before y- the battle starts. Yeah. He showed you like like a half hour ago, like exactly what yeah. Helm's Deep looks like. It, he's very smart with his establishing shots. Real quick. I just want to go back to Tolkien because my point when we were talking about fellowship, about the sort of naturalist environmentalist side of Tolkien really rings true in this movie. I mean, it's, it's definitely a big part of fellowship with just seeing the way the Shire is and a little bit of kind of Isengard gaining steam. But in this movie with the Ents and Mm -hmm. just Isengard in full force, you really see those two sides at odds and that theme of Tolkien being terrified of industrialization is so prevalent in this and really seeing the there's even a quote that Saruman has that's like yeah. the machine of the industrial machine of Isengard with I'm, our steel. I'm trying to find it. I wrote down the exact quote. Oh, yeah. The old world will burn in the fires of industry. Wow. Exactly. Like that is just explicitly saying There's like the about- forests will fall. A new order will rise. We will drive the machine of war with the sword and the spear and the iron fist of the orc. Yeah, we're, we're prepped in this movie from the first one. We don't get a lot of the two main themes, I think, which are the environment and religion. And they're both really heavy handed here. Yeah, it works, though. It works because we need something. You know, I I said this last time. We need something to tie us back to our reality. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to talk about that going all the way back to why, you know, are we asking which is better? This one or the first movie? Why does the second movie work? And even though I like Fellowship, I think more because of the way it sets up the story. I think this is a better movie for two specific reasons. I think the pacing and the timing are fucking fantastic. I don't know how it, they made it work. Peter Jackson's a fucking genius, obviously. Yeah. But also, and I'll talk about it more, but the way that emotion is built up on these humps and then slathered across the story. So you have these emotional through lines that are like skewers in your kebab that are keeping everything along, that are holding you and don't let you go. And I don't know if it's just me. It's hard for me to look at that objectively because like I feel so close to the story. Mm. So that's, that's why I want to hear about your points of view on that as well. Well, you are right that it also, it helps to that in the first film for the most part, like our fellowship, our group is just staying together the whole time. So you can't for the sake of like one scene, have everybody get a line in to say something. Cause then it just kind of goes around and nothing really happens. But because this film splits up, our parties into what three groups yeah Um, Yeah, so we have we we, get we get more out of each individual character like Gimli shines in this movie with like all of his little things about like nobody throws a dwarf and then (laughs) a lot of short jokes yeah like come on man I, I I one of the things I wrote down was a fun game is in this movie anytime Gimli has a line you can be afterward be like Gimli <laughs> well because it's I think this whole thing with the hobbits they don't make a point about the hobbits being tiny it's just part of what it is let me let me counter what you're saying here so I think what what works about this 
there, there's a specific scene where Gimli's on a horse and he's just with the people of Rohan and they're riding over to Helm's Deep. And he tells a story about the female dwarves. Yeah, and then he falls off <laughs> his horse. I think, yeah, so that's, if, if you look at that in, like, in a vacuum, it's just like him do like, oh, Gimli, that kind of thing. But also, I think it says a lot about the dwarves because we don't get to meet a lot of dwarves. Yeah. He's the only dwarf we meet. So it tells us that his people, I think, have this sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. They come from tough times. We had to tell little jokes to yeah. get by every day. And then and then we see the dwarves in The Hobbit and then we're like, oh, Jesus Christ. OK, maybe this was a mistake. Maybe we should have kept it to just one door. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> But uh, we're not talking about The Hobbit. Okay, here's here's another thing that I thought was like fucking genius in terms of keeping a theater audience on board with what's going on. Uh, about halfway through the movie, there's literally a little catch up corner. It's so good with Kate Blanchett and genius yeah, shit. and Hugo Weaving. It blew my fucking brains out. I was like. Oh, they're literally just telling us what's happened. Yeah. yeah. It's like one of and the best exposition of, dumps yeah. like ever. And I kind of could have used it. And also they keep it interesting for people who were paying attention because they include new information. Right. Yeah. They, they stack on the lore on top of it. And it's put in the perfect spot in the mm -hmm. movie because it's right in that lull before the battle yep. ramps up. It's so dope. So you need it to know the stakes. So you're emotionally invested in the massive battle mm -hmm. that's about to and play out. It sorry, it's it if you look at just Elrond in that moment, he's like about to prep his people to move on to the elven afterlife. So he's been preaching all this shit to his daughter for months, mm -hmm. but now he's thinking to himself, wait a minute, yeah. you know, I, I kind of understand what she's getting at. She's looking at so, him like, I, I need my man. Yeah. I was gonna say this for later, <laughs> but since you just brought it up, this is a lore question for you, Brett. Um, <laughs> what is the undying world? Oh my god. You want like me to just is, make it up? No, does it, does, it, does it go more into detail in the book? Like, what is that? Like, are they actually, like, um, just, like, going to some kind of an afterlife? Like, Hold what? on, I'm getting on the one wiki to rule them they, all. It says that they go, they're, like, the last boat's leaving. So I'm like, is yeah. this a physical place it's, that you're going yeah, to? It's or? Be some sort of you alternate get, dimension. You get a little bit more in the next movie. They talk about it a little bit more. But it's, I don't know, it's probably it is, like some Valhalla it is. It is a realm it includes the continent of Amon and the island of Tol Eresea. Yeah, well, they, you know, well, they yeah, actually they talk Why about that a, actually a lot in the books. Yeah, that, and this that is part the of books, the physical yeah. map of Middle Earth. Like this is a oh, that's a is good, that central? Like, is it there? Do they uh, research? No, because they are leaving Middle there's a, Earth. But there's an that's ocean true. separating Earth. the Undying yeah. Lands from the western shores of Middle Earth. Magic. So you just go there and you're like, I'm chilling. But only elves can get there. Um. Okay. So. Let's 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 try to go in order mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah, here. I'm waiting I'm waiting for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we open with basically meeting Gollum, right? No, no. no we we open oh, with oh, the flashback. Gandalf. That's when right. It you shall not pass was such a good line that they had to put it in again because the, they were like this start. is this kicks so much ass. And then we have the shot of Gandalf and the demon fighting in the air as they're like falling into Incredible. the water. Like, I just want to print that out and like put that on a poster on my wall because yeah. that is like one of the most beautiful shots. And then Frodo wakes up and he's like, damn, twas yes. just a dream. It was I, all I a just virtual to, reality simulation. I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to mention that Gandalf has like this insane celestial acid trip 
Yes. During that yeah. Scene. When he's talking about like where he was, he was he's just like, on DMT basically. Yeah, he's like, you guys don't, fu- you guys have no fucking idea what, yeah. I, what I, I just happened. Yeah. He did it. What every guy does when they trip too hard, he like changed his name. Yeah. <laughs> he changed his clothes. But, oh yeah. Gandalf. That's what they called me. That's a it's only been like two days, but he was like, f- like tripping on DMT for like, yeah, months. he lived like lifetimes. Yeah. In this, that in this shot world. where it just goes into the full, like reaches of the cosmos. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Oh my God. Look, We've all been in the K hole before. Yeah. Okay. Big, big, all right, uh, all right. Uncut gems energy. Well, let's let's go. To, let's go to Gollum. Let's go to <laughs> yeah. That's well, the real well, start. The, the whole the falling down with the with the fucking Balrog is incredible. Just mm-hmm. it looks amazing. Just right off the bat, you're like, oh fuck. Okay, we're here. We're doing this. Uh, but then yeah, then we meet Gollum, which we should. There's a lot to talk about with Gollum mm-hmm. because. We didn't get him at all in fellowship, except for like maybe one tiny little bit. Peak. It's important to mention him. Yeah. Because that's how we know that because Frodo addresses him and he's not as scared as he should be because he knows who who just tackled him. There, there's a lot going on with this character because, first of all, he has basically given himself over to the ring entirely. He was in the possession of the ring for 500 years and it has altered him physically, mentally, just everything. He's drawn to it. He he knows nothing other than that ring. He's if you've never seen it, he he becomes you know he's overtaken by the ring for many many years, and he becomes like a cave dweller, yeah. kind of on all fours. He's creature. possessed essentially, mm-hmm. like the look of it. Even twenty year, almost twenty years later, is just good, one good of the guy. best effects ever made, flat out. I mean, it's one, the character design is incredible because he is just like, he's so small, but he has these like tiny hands and these, or these giant hands and these giant eyes. It's really, really unnerving. And also, I mean, we got to talk about our guy, Andy Serkis. I, Andy Serkis will never get enough appreciation for how good of a performance he's doing in this movie. He's giving, he's playing two roles, like between going back and forth between Smeagol and Gollum Mm -hmm. and the way that those shots with him like having his inner dialogue are uh the way they're directed is so clear despite it just being the same person like i it it always like stupefies me whenever i see it, and it uses these like little jump cuts where it'll just be the same backdrop but it, his fate head will just be switched just i, I feel like there's some subconscious way. shit going on like where it's like always left or it's always yeah. right or something like that i'm too. sure that's what it is for sure mm-hmm. yeah he's incredible like he's he, squirming around. Yeah, he <sighs> he really because there is I think nine times out of ten, this character turns out really corny and right. And it yeah, and it really does. Like, obviously, it's an over the top character and like a very physical performance, but it rocks. And the voice is like so odd. It manages so specific. It manages to like stay out of the uncanny valley, which yeah. you would think it would fall really deep into, but it works. And when you're first, you're first introduced to him by his smell, because Sam is like, what the fuck is that smell? <laughs> and then you see him and he's like, he's disgusting, like visually, audibly the way he coughs. Yeah. And like also existentially, because you're like, what happened to this guy? Yeah. yeah you mm-hmm. kind of, you do get why everyone just likes to kind of push him around. <laughs> Yeah, they're like they're like pulling him by a rope, like a tiny rope <laughs> yeah. around his neck. Really early on, one of the things I wrote was Samwise is absolutely fed up with Gollum. Yeah. <laughs> like he's over Gollum. Yeah, he doesn't want you. You vibe with. I I love the the back and forth of Sam and Frodo just looking at Gollum and how they're both kind of right. Sam's like, obviously, we're not trusting this yeah. weird piece of shit, but Frodo's like, 
this this he was like us yeah because frodo sees himself yeah he sees the good half and he because that's why he's carrying the ring because that is the type of guy he is you said uh on the fellowship pod that um our guy was cast just for eyes alone and <laughs> my god his eyes are on full display in this movie so, yes elijah just, yeah, yeah elijah has eyes. the most yeah. like tender eyes in the world just like we have to trust Smeagol. <laughs> he's trying to help us. Yeah, yeah but then angel. that's a good point because you also get when his eyes, like he tries to do the Andy Circus and he gets like all possessed and he's it's like, so the Nazgul's are coming, <laughs> which, which I don't think he does nearly as well. No, but he I, looks now, like he's coming a you, little bit. Yeah, you kind of made me. Um, <laughs> I, like, I'm seeing mm-hmm. it now. Frodo is. Um, he's doing the same thing that Gollum and Smeagol mm-hmm. are doing. Yeah. yeah, like you could tell that was definitely a directing uh, note. Um, so after that. Well, I guess at the same time, we have uh, our guy Aragorn just going on his little journey with Legolas yeah. and Gimli. Uh, so we get, they are running. They're yeah, just sprinting. They're just sprinting. We get the great line from Gimli. Um, <laughs> we dwarfs are natural sprinters. Very dangerous from a short distance. Yeah, I like that. Gimli. <laughs> Good line. <laughs> I just it's think funny. it's hilarious how they're just like, they're just running. Like they... <laughs> That's how they just get around. They don't have, <laughs> well, they they don't have any sprint. other choice. They're like, we just <laughs> dead sprint until we find something. That's me playing it's Dungeons like and Dragons. It's like a video game character. Just like <laughs> That's a dead cool. sprint. Something I want to talk about. I was going to wait to talk about it, but this is where I really started thinking about it was you get plot armor in any kind of like fantasy thing like Game of Thrones. Remember the end of Game of Thrones where the main characters somehow aren't dying to these great fighters yeah in this movie it works because the main characters are distinctly more powerful Mm -hmm. than their foes and i think that's that's in the movie where it starts because you have aragorn really pushing himself legolas is an elf who could run probably for hundreds of miles and gimli's like lagging behind so what this movie does really well splitting up the characters like this displays the weaknesses and the strengths mm-hmm. of each character mm-hmm. really nice absolutely uh vigo I, you know i singled him out in the last pod too because you simply have to i think that he's so integral to this movie as an actor like he was he was the last minute replacement remember like he they yeah. called him like a few days before shooting um and i think he's the best because there there's a lot of room for broader performances like bigger performances there are a lot of huge characters in this vigo is Aragorn is a big character, but Vigo is acting small and big. He he will give us small in more dramatic moments. He's not always, you know, there are the moments where he's like getting on his knees and like screaming to the heavens that the two, you know, his two little hobbit buddies are gone. Yeah. But then there are also tiny little moments where his his natural voice isn't particularly loud or intimidating. And I think that really like lends itself toward a sort of a more realistic Yet still very heroic man. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Being he, a, he a, has, a relatable leader. Yeah, exactly. He has to be daddy, but he also can't be too daddy because then what happens in return will feel a little bit too obvious. So you have to you have to be like, oh, I'm into this guy. I really yeah. want to root for him. But you you can't have him be like the obvious right. choice. Yeah, he's kind of, I mean, he has that reluctant leader quality and everybody else in these stories who, uh, like as somebody who's just like, I am the leader is somebody who is either not suited for the role or not as good of a part. Um, we'll get to Carl Urban in a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not as big on him in this Elmer. story. Elmer. Am I pronouncing that? Elmer. Elmer. Yeah. I think that, um, one of the bigger relationships that my big takeaway here is a relationship between Aragorn and Theoden, King Theoden. Mm-hmm. 
and un- what a under great actor. Yeah, who is under- that guy? understanding what it means to be a leader, maybe for a long time or a short time. What are the sacrifices you make? What if you get jaded after forty years? Mm-hmm. What's the right decision? What if you get uh, possessed? Yeah, Sauron, <laughs> and then Jesus resurrects and exercises yeah. you. <laughs> what if you know? Yeah. Just yeah. classic what ifs that yeah, you would ask. Things that just happen sometimes. Yeah, that that relationship was really really cool because uh, it was like a push pull. Like you know, they it was contentious at times where Aragorn is just being like, "Hey, don't do that. Do this instead." Like, "Hey, don't uh, kill that little fucking worm." That what is that guy's name? Worm tongue. Uh, Grim, uh, wor- Grimma worm tongue. Yeah, man, that guy is nasty. What do we think about that actor? He's um, great. He knocks it out of the part. <laughs> it's so funny the first time that you see him just talking to Theoden. He's just like whispering in yeah. his ear and everything. He it's really disturbing. He definitely got probably hung out with Andy Circus like Brad Dorf for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was looking at his IMDb. He's been in a he plays, ton of shit. He's the guy with the stutter in One Flew Over the Fucking Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, nice. Yeah. The that is one of the craziest like you would you could have given me a million dollars yeah. I wouldn't because I, I I asked that same question I was like what else is this guy in and I literally I went through yeah. his IMDb he he's going like heavy elocution he's going big and broad and I think it worked for that character because that's a broad character you know so back to your point about pacing Brett at around the 15 16 minute mark we're already introducing uh Isengard in full glory and full power and the whole thing the the quote that we just read about industry and war and we see the urukai being born just like in fellowship but just like amplified so right away you know 15 minutes into this movie we've already introduced frodo sam and and um gollum and we've picked up with what's left of the fellowship and now we're getting into saruman uh recruiting some uh commoners I, yeah they're, they're like wild folk yeah mm. i i feel like maybe the extended edition might give a little bit more context to that but he's essentially just like building his crew building his army pillaging some nearby towns and then boom finally we get to rohan um which i was pretty skeptical about this you know introducing new characters really taking time to spending time with people that were not in the first movie at all Carl Urban is in here, which uh, I think he's good. I do mm. think he does a good job. He's he, broad. Yeah, he he's he does the thing. He's uh, <laughs> a uh, kind of exiled sort of heroic figure here, shunned by Wormtongue. Um, and, you know, the, the biggest thing with this whole section is really getting us to care about uh, Theoden. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's what needs to be accomplished. And I think they do a really good job of that. That's the big what Peter always allows you to grieve because things are happening so fast. You you first see it with Gandalf and Fellowship. Um, after because Theoden's son passes while he's still um, possessed, and then he becomes unpossessed, and you're like, does he know that his does he know that his son is dead? And that was weighing really heavily on me just in that moment when he's trying to uh, take revenge on Wormtongue. And then we get a moment where he grieves in front of his son's grave with Gandalf. And that just destroyed me. Yeah. That, I don't know the name of that actor, but he fucking nails it. And the line, yeah. And the uh, lines Bernard are so Hill. good. He's amazing. He says, you know, he says something along the lines of why should I be alive? You know, when my child dies to see the end of my kingdom. And then he breaks down mm-hmm. and Gandalf is there, you know, trying to console That's him. A great moment. And that emotional through line, I was like, 
that feels really good, but it carries us through because like you're saying, we need to be on like, we need to understand Theoden yeah. to get this movie. And, but, but we're also cutting around. We're not staying in Rohan for like 30 minutes. Right. We're also like going back to Aragorn and crew. We're then we get back with Pippin and Mary. Yeah, I was gonna say you guys skipped the introduction to Mary and Pippin. Like whenever the Urukai are in there and like kind of doing their thing, they're about to just get fucking eaten. Um, <laughs> and then the writers of Rohan come in there and like save them, and they just have to. They don't know scurry. that they saved Yeah, them. they don't know that they're being saved, so they just run into the forest, and that's when we meet when we meet our guy Treebeard. Yeah, the then tiny orcs. You get more of that later. You really just get to see Treebeard. But right after that, um, one of my like favorite directed little sequences is when the exiled riders of Rohan led by Aomer meet up with uh, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli and they surround them like in the circle and then they have all their spears on their heads. Yeah. And Legolas is like he like brings up his bow and he's like ready to shoot the guy and then like the spears are coming even closer to his head. I fucking love that scene. Well, also before that, another piece of this movie that I really love you were talking about about showing off the character's strengths and weaknesses is they find where the Urukai attacked. And like you see Aragorn for like two minutes, just go into full yeah. tracker mood. The, the, detect, like, the detective Aragorn here. here. Yeah, and just yeah. like full, like they were dragged here. Then they gather, they gathered themselves up and they sprinted into the forest. It's really That's nice really cool. that we get to understand um, how good of like a tracker he is. Like we get to understand yeah, his that skills. Rocked. That was very fun to see. I just love that. I love that that was included in there. And then they go into the forest and they hear about the white wizard who's in there. And like just the reveal of Gandalf coming back, like, you know that it's happening, but that doesn't make it any less effective. Like when he takes they off his well. coat and he is fucking glowing, especially cause you just see, the back of him you just see the straight white hair like uh yeah. saruman has but even when he starts speaking they have like christopher yeah, lee christopher do Lee's the voice. dialogue mm-hmm. that morphs into ian mckellen but but we still know we're kind of like because as a viewer we're like you guys aren't gonna believe this <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh man that just so yeah. good. McKellen's another guy who could have gone a lot bigger and he chose not to. And it pays off. So yeah. Much. It pays off so much yeah. that he's not going like bow before, you know, he, yeah. he's going small. Yeah. I mean, he's, even, he's the best, I think. Even I, in. Oh, the, I, he's I think that he is the MVP of the entire series. Honestly, as much as I love Vigo and everything like Ian is kind of the wheel that makes everything work. I, I mean, I really, really love Gollum in this movie. I think if you're going to give it to anybody else. Oh, in this individual movie. Yeah, 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 probably. Yeah, I I think you might be right on that. Um, For me, it's Aragorn. Aragorn is so good. Dude, that moment where he opens those double doors. I was like, oh, whoa. Okay, feeling some well, things. You're like Eowyn and you wanted some yeah. fucking <laughs> yeah. some dick. Another great thing, the the costuming of him is incredible and the makeup because uh that man was never ever hot again. Like a Yeah, he's yeah. not he's like an ugly guy. The, this trilogy he's yeah, like a Greek it. god. Dude, you don't you don't even know so quick aside in the behind the scenes, you, you spend a good amount of time with the woman who led who managed all the costumes mm-hmm. and when she worked with Vigo they made his costume look like when there's a rip, Aragorn is the one who's sewing it back together. So you don't get to see a lot of those details, but it's him. Like he's, de- it really feels like he developed his own like wardrobe that he's been repairing yeah. over years and years. Yeah. They, they make a point to make 
so much of the costumes like look extremely weathered you know that there's no neat freshly ironed and dry cleaned anything in these movies mm. you know you for some reason that's a mistake that a lot of movies make uh or it's just like you you put so much work into your costumes and you want them to look nice but it's like no you want it to be you want it to feel real you want it to be torn up and dirty yeah i mean it's the same thing for the costume design that goes for the production design and kind of the choices that they make behind all that like to that point Meanwhile, while all this is happening, uh, Sam and Frodo are walking through the dead marshes. Yes. And we talked a lot about how the use of practical effects mixed with the CGI and stuff and how it's done excellently in this film. And that's such a perfect uh, example of that because it is so creepy, the dead marshes. Like, but it's I really unnerving. Everything everything was fine and dandy until he falls in the water and you get these really bad goosebumps level effects of like <laughs> the ghosts in the water. That was my least favorite. I, effect. I like it. Like it it's, works. it's, it's kind of like, it's a little bit corny, but like, you're not, I, I think I didn't mind it. Cause I'm like, yeah, Frodo isn't going to die 40 minutes into that second movie. Like when you can kind of get through this part, but also the black riders, you see them again on the dragons. You only see Wraiths one with wings. Yeah. Yeah. You only see the one. I, I, I feel like, um, it's, it's a good setup for kind of, where they take that in return uh, rather than just having the whole fleet of the ring rates again. I, I think the marches is great. I think that that's a good example of this movie going a little bit darker than fellowship. I mean, it's not like fellowship is all fun and games. There's still some crazy. I shouldn't that movie, but I think this movie just kind of goes a little bit darker, a little bit more sort of horror X esque and intense. And it's moments like these that like, if you're a little kid, this shit's going to fucking haunt you. you and return is like way worse when we get to that one. The ghost. There's some scary ass shit yeah. in return though. The, oh yeah. Like the, the mouth of Sauron. and. The oh spider. my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Um, also another thing that you brought up Drew about uh, Ian McKellen never going too big. I love when they bust into the courtroom for uh, Theoden and one just kind of the reveal he's wearing the gray cloak and everything and then he fucking pushes it off yeah you have before worm snake worm tongue just being like no one took the wizard stuff yeah. <laughs> but for me like before they walk in it gets a little like oceans 11 y like if you put oh, on like yeah. oceans 11 music right like when just like give us all of your <laughs> all of your weapons gandalf you, and gandalf is like for one last stick. job yeah gandalf is like you wouldn't take an old man's walking stick wink wink literal wink, wink. <laughs> it's so it's, good but then like whenever he is actually going up to theoden he gets so big and then he goes so small he's just like theoden for too long you have stayed in the shadows i release you Oof. and it's just like oh, and it doesn't man. work and then he just has to fucking use that <laughs> magic yank stick. it out of him um, like uh what does he say like um i will uh free you of the darkness like the venom I, I can't remember what exactly something it is. Like the Venom dialogue or something. The dialogue in this movie is like might be the best dialogue in the entire uh, series. I want I wanted to address that. Um what was kind of weird to me was I, I mentioned to Ernest that it felt like this movie, maybe the beginning was written by different people. Got a it got a like, few writers here. The, like the dialogue oh, is like okay. Shakespearean mm -hmm. in the first act and it's a little out of place. It's almost like 
they like grab dialogue out of the book rather than taking the lines that work in the movie. Yeah. There, there are three uh, co-writers along with Jackson. They're all uh, like longtime like collaborators. Is it with the him. two, the two women from the first one? Yeah. Or? And then we have Steven Sinclair who's worked with uh, Jackson uh, a little bit less, but pretty much most of what he's done has well, been Peter Jackson stuff. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's definitely Steven's fault. Let's, <laughs> let's pin it right on him on pod. Um, so real quick, I just wanted to go back to the marshes. I just wanted to point out that Gollum saves, mm-hmm. uh, see um, Samwise, all he's doing is bitching and moaning Frodo. about Gollum and guess who, guess who doesn't save yeah, so Frodo. Th- Samwise doesn't save yeah, Frodo. So that's, that's a little moment there to be like, oh, okay, maybe we should care about Gollum a little bit. Maybe we shouldn't judge him by his wrinkly, snivelly <laughs> appearance. Um, but then they get captured by a guy named Faramir. And we get introduced to our guy. You're like, wait, that sounds like Boromir. Whoa. <laughs> he looks, he has heavy, like, Weasley energy. <laughs> I does. almost had to, like, look it up. Like, is he a Weasley? He's not is a he Weasley. an actual Weasley? <laughs> not a, yeah, does he come from the Weasleys? <laughs> David Wenham. He might as well be. I think like one in four people in England look like that. (laughs) If you go over there. Farmier, I think, is my least favorite part of this movie. Oh, he's 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 flat to me. I just I think he doesn't do a great job. I think that he I I I know that these are based off of uh, pre-existing books and that they can't like change the central story. But he just struck me as a lesser Boromir. And like I liked Boromir, well, that's that kind of performance that's, more than Faramir. That's the whole thing is that he's like a lesser Boromir, and we get because we don't get a lot of Gondor in this movie. That comes later when we get into um, like Minas Tirith yeah. and all that. It was it was like a Liv Tyler esque performance. It was just kind of flat all across. You know? Well, speaking of Liv Tyler, we get an extended flashback sequence. Yeah, horny uh, flashback. Yep, mm-hmm. he's 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 wistfully walking to Helm's Deep and. There's a woman trying to get with him right there. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, no, no, no. I miss my 400-year-old lady. I I want to be with her. And she's like, yo, I'm right here. I'm young. I'm only like 40, maybe 30. <laughs> I, could I, be think like that, 20. I think that they I die know. by like 45 oh. at that time. Yeah. Um, this is a good film Twitter post is you, you post like the Google results for the ages of those two characters and then be like, like the thinking face emoji and then Twitter, do your thing. <laughs> Aragorn's only 13. <laughs> um, no, but one thing I was going to say about the dialogue that uh, one line that I do really like uh, in this movie that I wrote down uh, that she has, he has, with, uh, what's her name? Um, I forgot to write it down. Um, his new love interest. Eowyn? Yeah, Eowyn. Um, he says, that he's just like, um, she says, I fear neither death nor pain. He says, what do you fear, my lady? A cage. Mm. I like that. Well, Eowyn's Liv Tyler, right? Arwen is Liv Tyler. Oh, Arwen. fuck. Arwen. How, could you mix the, how could you mix that up? <laughs> Welcome to Arwen. Ever God heard of it? Not, right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, so then they get ambushed uh, on their way. And this battle breaks out in the open field. Looks Oh, the, the warg battle. Yes. That is, I love that battle so much. It, it looks yeah, so good. it looks good. fucking awesome. They, mm-hmm. they, they shot it on location. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, what did you call them? Wargs. Wargs. They're kind of cute a little bit. <laughs> no, they were not. I felt kind of <laughs> bad. I was like, 
Do you guys have to kill these? Uh, okay. They look gross. I think <laughs> they that look pretty I, scary. I, I, fucking fucking Oakjo over here. I was <laughs> like, no, we could save them. I was like, I'm okay killing orcs and orakai, but these, what, what are they called? Wargs. Wargs. Wargs are so adorable. <laughs> we don't need. We don't. Do you think that <laughs> actually? There I'll go. Um, yeah, that was a good sequence. I, I like one one thing I that that stuck out to me in that sequence was uh, Saruman. He he goes to his little. He goes to his orcs and there's one like warg orc who looks very distinct and he's like, you know, send out your team. And then that's the guy that tries to kill Aragorn. Like if you're paying attention, right. even these like random orcs are like really consistent. They do recur. The yeah, I want to see Lord of the Rings from the perspective of an orc. Mm. That would be great. And is that that would be a new... really good like comedy, dark comedy kind of thing. Yeah. Very New Zealand, very Taika Waititi. Yeah, yeah can we get Taika on this one? <laughs> Taika, do your thing. What we do in the shadow? No. <laughs> oh my god, the there's a slow motion shot where Legolas like flips onto a moving horse. I didn't want to say no, that. Okay. I couldn't tell if that was so good or not. Cool. No, that was that's a great awesome. take. I I was watching it like this is definitely cool. If you turn your brain off, except yeah, I have it written down the way Legolas jumps on a horse because it's because it's you know it's like a reverse shot essentially. What I want to see, like. it looks like a shot in reverse yeah. of someone flipping I, off of a they horse. Went, yeah, yeah, and now Tenet. Yeah, now you. I'm like ninety percent sure that's how they did it. I believe it if I saw the stuntman actually doing it. Like if they based it off of a real stunt, then I'd be like, okay, I get it. <laughs> well, it's seamlessly Orlando Bloom. Like you see Orlando Bloom, he's shooting the arrow. And then it punches it's in CG on CG Orlando, like shooting yeah. up onto it's, the horse. It's really yeah, I'm funny sure how few sure. shortcuts like Peter Jackson used, even though he's making this giant fucking hunk of a movie. It's so goddamn long. Like almost every shot is really complicated to do. <laughs> like there's so many moving parts. Um, going back to, to how important the wides are, they also are very important in action scenes because like Peter Jackson does cut on action a lot. And so these scenes would make a lot less sense to our eyes if we didn't know where people were, because then it would end up being like the Avengers battles mm -hmm. where they're just sort of in, you know, they're on the plane right. <laughs> of the battlefield well, this, in some part. This, this reminded me a lot of Infinity War, the Wakanda battle. Mm -hmm. It's very similar, but that Wakanda battle, you, I mean, at least for me, you know, every shot of that. This is just digital noise on a fucking blue screen. Like this is this was all shot in some Atlanta yeah. back lot. It's very hard to well, give yeah, yourself over to that. The other problem with that battle is there also isn't like there. We can't have a sense of place if the place is just a flat plane. Yeah. Like there's no place in those battles. All of the locations in this are so well fleshed out. Yeah. I mean, and also we'll, we'll get into more of it whenever we actually get to the siege itself. But the choreography behind the battles and everything else, it's so concise and like so clear cut that, you know, where each character is on the battlefield and you can see people flying around and then somebody coming from behind or something like that. Like it's all very, very yeah. well done. And, yeah. And, and shouts to these actors, because obviously there's plenty of stunt double work in this movie, but the actors did do what they could. Um, I read somewhere that there was one scene in particular where the, you know, our triple threat trio is running. The one you were talking about in the beginning, they were all injured that day on set from Oof. stunts. <laughs> like yeah, Vigo like, had broken toes from kicking the helmet when he found out about the hobbits. Yeah. I've, and that's the, I think that's the cut that made it into the movie. Yeah. His yeah. Scream. 
yeah they put in his scream there and then he had broken toes moving forward like legolas has two broken ribs from falling <laughs> off his horse and then like the stunt double well, from that crazy jump they did gimli just had a lot of like problems with his prosthetics the entire movie so he was like injured Believe the whole time that. like his skin falling off <laughs> there's a there's a shot of gimli like having one of those Th- those things i keep forgetting the name of them warg warg it falls on him and he's stuck <laughs> under it and then an orakai also dies on top of him so gimli's like oh i'm stuck under two bad guys yeah he like oh. snaps, snaps, he, like, snaps one's neck <laughs> now if we if we do an edit where it's gimli and he's stuck in the dryer is that something oh my god he needs he that's needs, like he needs one- his stepbrother legolas to help him out that's like one step away from being like the the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where they're like shooting him out of the cannon. Yeah. Well, also Gimli is toppling Legolas. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Come on. Legolas is Aragorn, a though. Man. Well, yeah. <laughs> so then our guy Aragorn falls off a fucking cliff. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, oh yeah, leave him. He, he's dead. <laughs> and this is in fact one of those things where you see the water. You're like, oh, he's dead. Oh no. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like but, I thought, yeah, you'd think that Legolas would just be like, okay, and like you know, dive into the water. <laughs> but they just gotta go. You know, we have to move things forward here. And he gets saved by his lady. She puts mm-hmm. some sort of spell. Is that what happened? I couldn't. I didn't. That's understand. pretty much what happened. Yeah, she like. That's what I kind of took it as. Is like she is. I river spell. Yeah, we, we saw her do of, a river spell in fellowship to take. But care she of can the, like sense like yo, my man's in danger, and he right. give him like a spirit kiss, and that well, will wake this him up. This was well, no. The reason why this is such an ex machina thing for me is that he also spots the army and and lets uh, Theoden know. Oh yeah, it's a thousand percent an ex machina. I mean, without yeah. doubt. But. Yeah, I mean, then you have Gandalf arriving with the riders too. But so. before that, I mean, we but do get there's we prep about, for that. I don't mind that as much. I do love that once again, uh, for the second straight movie, we have Hugo Weaving fading in and out of the camera, (laughs) talking directly to the camera and giving a speech about mortality. With scrunched eyebrows. It's not as... That sequence sequence was really cool when he's trying to, you know, this is a really seasoned fucking guy, like King of the Elves. He's like, how do I fucking explain this to my daughter? What the fuck is going on? And I believe he actually got in her head. He's like, you're going to be alive till the end of eternity. When well, everybody man, else is he's dead. He's going to die in like 10 years. Like man's 87. <laughs> the, um, the elves must have some sort of like, you know, elf zoom or something. Where Him and Galadriel. <laughs> they, they, they must have like some sort of neural link. Yeah. It's like the last Jedi force chat. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's exactly. But I believe this about. more. Yeah. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Wait, are you trying to say that? This trilogy is better than the the, the new than the new, nine Star Wars movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Specifically <laughs> the ninth one. Um. So then we finally get to Helm's Deep. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about okay, Helm's so Deep? There, there's a quote that I wrote down. Um, this is a quote by uh, Brett Nemiroff. Yeah, quote by Brett. So there's you <laughs> get the writing. really nice calm before the storm. Um, a lot of those interactions between the characters just inside of Helm's Deep, and you know that this battle is not going to be won. And Theoden says they will break upon this fortress like water on rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great line because you don't get all of this other exposition in the book about what Helm's Deep is like and all this other stuff. You just get the establishing shots that Drew talked about and you get a couple lines like that. And you're like, okay, I understand this setting and mm-hmm. what's about to happen. And then they actually come at it like fire on rock unexpectedly. 
Yeah. yeah. If you know what I'm saying. Well, <laughs> I mean, and there is also the one shot of a uh, worm tongue with Saruman. He's just like, there's one, there's one weakness in the water well underneath. <laughs> 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 that little slippery guy. I just want to like punch him in the face. I, I, I like him. There's some good uh, <laughs> comedy in this movie. Hell yeah. yeah. Okay, and all of yeah. these there is, but yeah, this one yeah. in particular, I, I like, you know, the, him just like kind of like running away, really doing a shitty job. <laughs> yeah, He's like, oh, get out of my way. <laughs> Yeah. The, the the moment of the guy who plays Gimli, you get to like meet him in the behind the scenes yeah. and you could he's like a John really Reese. actory actor. Yeah. And the moment uh, right as the battle is starting when he's like, you know, what's going on? And Legolas is like, do you want me to tell you or do you want me to get you a box? And it's it's a really <laughs> cheeky line. <laughs> it's a really cheeky line. But the way that Gimli like reacts to it just with his face mm-hmm. makes you just be like, yep, yeah, makes sense. And that actor is like really tall. Is he really? Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. He was. It's all stunt yeah. double with him, and then like you know, a lot of superimposed face, or just that's why there's so many close-ups on his face. Yeah, mm-hmm. like if you notice, like almost every shot that's just him is just him. Like, and it's you just never Ed. see it. You never see his face when it's like him next to another actor. It's, yeah, it's rare because that costs more money exactly. to make happen. Um, before we get to actual battle, though, there's a a kind of semi-extended sequence with uh frodo sam and Gollum uh with the faramir crew and basically like faramir just like his brother falling a little bit to the power of the ring and they are conflicted about like what to do with Gollum and kind of yeah he- where his place is and what you know is should we trust him or not like don't they want to kill him at some point? Yeah, we get we get a couple key moments um, before like they try to kill him where uh, Gollum's by himself. It, it's the main scene of Gollum arguing with himself. Yeah. And he casts away Gollum mm-hmm. and he just left with Smeagol, who really wants to help. And you're like really on Frodo's side at that point. Yeah. And then you get to the point where um, he might be killed and Frodo doesn't realize he's giving him away and... He just goes right back to to Gollum. And yeah, it's you it's almost fucking, Formir is the reason why there is conflict with him. Formir like makes uh, Smeagol relapse into Gollum. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't realize he's like fucking up everything. I another piece of humor that I fucking love is uh, uh while Sam is cooking at one point, whenever like Smeagol is full Smeagol, Gollum's gone. And it's like cooking up food and Gollum's just like screaming. He's just like, no, you <laughs> ruined it. And then potatoes. he's just like, yeah, give it to the fish. Give it to us raw and yeah. wiggling. That, that's that's, the, that's the one just kind of like a hangout moment between Sam yeah. and Gollum. The other, <laughs> see, I think the funniest moment in the movie is a similar. It's another food scene where uh, Aragorn's eating the stew and it's awful. Yeah. 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 And, um, there is that when they're in uh, what's it called the the hilltop castle no the golden something yeah i don't know there's too much nate er, <laughs> brett uh lord check what's your name first of all <laughs> it's brett guard brett brett son of scott <laughs> uh one of my 
favorite moments of comedy, intentional or not, is uh, this face that Frodo is making <laughs> when That's he what I was is feeling about. the power of the there's, ring. I just so, did a grape and I just... There's, <laughs> there's uh, some incredible unintentional comedy with my guy Elijah Wood's eyes. At the very end of the movie, him and Sam, his eyes that he makes to Sam is just like... Sam. Oh, it is oh, weird. Yes, it's I like, clocked that it's very much. Very sexual. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I mean, come happening? on. What else? What else are they doing? This journey is. It's a long journey. They're mm. by. They're on foot. <laughs> come on, you know. There's got to be something going. I think there on are there. some hobbits with feet kinks. Oh, there better be. Probably I mean, all of them. Big yeah. old feet. Um, I do love the look of uh, where Faramir takes them to. Um, uh, what's it called? Yeah, it's uh, like a waterfall cave looking thing. Oh, no, no, no. I meant the castle that's like being oh, fucking gotcha. wrecked. Like the way that that is shot, it's like very, very it's dystopian. It's like Osgiliath or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Um, but like the sky is just very like that kind of apocalyptic kind of white yellow hue to it. Mm-hmm. It's very, very unnerving. Very uh, California. <laughs> to, to me, what, what that does for us is it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It preps us for like how just down in the dumps and in rubbles the Gondorians are because this isn't really like what the the big keeps of Gondor look like, but this is what we're first presented with. And we're like, man, something's wrong here. Mm. Uh, in, in general, though, the there's some beautiful vistas of New Zealand all over this movie, you know, whether it's ominous or not. I think that uh, without all of the stuff that they built and added in CGI or miniatures or all of the amazing movie magic that happens. Just the look of New Zealand, the mountains, the rocks. Great looking spot. It's fucking dope. Um, also, Ents. Look at my guys. Ernie look. is just watching the movie. They look good. <laughs> he the yeah, he's just scrubbing that. through the movie looking for screenshots he likes. The Ents look really good. The only problem with the Ents is a couple of shots that also have the Hobbits and the lighting is, is really no, no, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote that down. They that is to me the most consistently bad visual effect oh, in the no, movies. Yeah. They never look Whenever like they're, they're actually like being on held. top of the trees and they're just like bouncing <laughs> up and down. It looks like a movie from like the 1960s it's, that's where a, they just put like a backdrop on. What I call that like that's that's a car. spy kids moment is when, <laughs> yeah. you're, is when they're bouncing up and down. I I love to see it. I, I, love that I, I still love that whole moment. And I mean, I are, are we ready for the final? The final uh, battle. Well, just now that we're on the ends real quick, I just wanted to point out that it's like it's pretty funny that like there's so much happening in this movie. And then every time we cut back to Mary and Pippin, yes. it's just they're just walking still with the ends. Yeah, we're still on the journey. Cheaper. He's just like, so you guys want to know some more lore? Or- yeah, <laughs> but it pays off because there's a conversation that they have towards the end where it's like Treebeard sort of explains like that the ends basically experienced the passage of time. Different. Yeah. Their and language their takes like way longer to communicate. Yeah. And so they can't yeah. get back to him with a you choice. You assume they spent like hours talking and they're like, so we discussed it and we determined that you are not little orcs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really well, it's really well done because that makes the call to action that much more powerful when he yeah. discovers his he friends to, are dead. Yeah. He has to yeah, see you, it. Well, Pippin gets redemption from uh fucking them over in the caves in the first movie. Cause he's just like smartly is like, no, oh, let's take go us south. south. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he knows that they've been fucking up and ruining Brilliant move. the when, so I, and everything. I think before we get into like um, the battle at Helm's Deep, we could we could just finish off with the mar- march of the Ents because it's kind of its own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when they are walking south, yeah. So the 
the Ensa, they're just going to drop off Marion Pippin on the south end of the forest. And you, you've learned a little bit about the Ents, and then he sees that his friends are dead. And knowing how they understand the passage of time, he might not see those trees for like 100 years, just walking around the right. forest. And then suddenly they're like all gone. Mm-hmm. So he feels he needs to act like right then. Yeah, he and all of the other Ents immediately come to action when he calls for it, even though they had just decided <laughs> yeah. very judiciously not to do it. Whatever like, he screamed, it's like a tree's never screamed like that ever. I you know I love that shit. <laughs> yeah. I connected so much with the Ents. It makes it time. it makes all the time we spent with them that felt like navel gazing pays off mm-hmm. once, right. once they join the fight. Yes. Yeah. And it is like really affecting for them. It's just like trees being burnt down, but like because of using Treebeard as this real character, it makes you like really feel saddened when you just see this whole plot of forest that is just completely burned down yeah. and it's just ash. Yeah. And so they storm Isengard. And I, you know, I hadn't seen this movie in a while. So I was thinking, like, do they? I wasn't sure if they would like succeed in this charge. I was a, I was a little worried. I was like, they're just hastily like charging into fucking Isengard. Are they going to be okay? So I was I was pretty invested in like whether or not they were going to make it. And there's a couple moments in that battle where you're just you see a couple trees get downed. One of them catches on fire. Mm-hmm. It's like it gets pretty dire for a minute. But then they're able to kind of crack open that dam and it fucking floods the whole thing. Yeah. And everything's ruined. A moment I um I stopped to think about was we see Saruman like look over yeah. at the march of the Ents and he's like, you know, obviously like, what the fuck? We could have like skipped all the Ent shit for the most part and just had that perspective because like, oh, it's obvious like tree hates loggers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> tree tree don't like that. But <laughs> it makes it so much more satisfying that we got to spend that time navel gazing with the Ents and understanding sure. um why they made that decision. So it, it it just feels so much better. Well, that's I mean, that is the biggest reason that these uh, tower over most uh, adaptations in general, but also the Hobbit movies is because we're taking our time. We're getting to know people before they become useful to the mechanics of the movie. Right. It matters like so, so much like and it fits into the theme, too, of, uh, you know, the 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 dual worlds that are clashing here, the everlasting eternal nature with the just apocalyptic urgency of the industrial. Right. Side. You're right. Cause we have the elves and we have the ants yeah. for this everlasting nature. And then this is so all of a sudden so urgent and they're not quite getting it. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good point. Exactly. So the Helm's deep battle, there's a, there's two brief moments that happen before the battle. One is they're in this like lower area sort of getting ready, like passing around uh, weapons. And they're commenting about how, like, first of all, they don't have many people, mm-hmm. you know, to face Say 300 versus 10,000. Yeah. I think those numbers are wrong because there's definitely <laughs> more than 300 of them. And there's definitely a <laughs> lot more than 10,000 troops on the other side. And there's this really, really good moment between Aragorn and Legolas there where they basically have this mini argument about like, whether or not it's worth it to even fight. Oh, in Elvish? Yeah, because it's like these people are either old men or little boys. So what are we doing here? Like, Mm -hmm. what's the point? They're all going to die. And then Aragorn's like, well, then I'll die as one of them. That that, uh, scene 
is great where they you know him and uh what's the king's name they 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 decide mutually to like fucking go like we're gonna we're gonna like ride this out in battle it also was a little unintentionally funny because they spent about five minutes like hyping each other up while like the gates are being stormed they're like oh yeah you know what we should do fight back (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know man it's like i was like you guys gotta go man another thing uh, another scene that i really love right before the battle starts that is corny in like 90% of movies that do this which is when Aragorn talks with the kid and it's just like, let me see the sword that you yeah, make. It's a good sword. It's a good sword. Like that scene comes across as corny as hell and does not work in so many different movies. But in this, it really does work because yeah. we've already spent this time with Aragorn. We know that he is a very compassionate and empathetic person and that he is going to be out there with this little boy just trying to do everything. I, he can I totally to agree. Safe. I think why what pushes that scene over the edge is um, the kid introduces himself how most men introduce themselves, which is I am, I am this son of this guy. Um, so then at, at the end of that talk, he's like, you are Sam, son of Sam Lee, right? He repeats it back to him, hands him back his sword, and you know that this kid is going to go out there and fight. Mm-hmm. And then the, made o- it. the other moment I wanted to shout <laughs> out know. is when Theoden gets his armor put on him and you have the light like blasting through the door behind Whoa. him. And you just... The juxtaposition position of that with the Theoden that we meet at the beginning of the movie, where he's just like this crippled, right. just shell of a man, mm-hmm. completely possessed. So effective. Like, oh my God, I'm so glad that we got to know this character and that it's such a good performance. And that we care right before this battle kicks in. And that we have this little moment here of him putting his armor on and really feeling like a freaking king, freaking leader for his people. And then the battle starts. So the battle starts. um, They arrive at the gates at the two hour and 15 minute. And there's a whole hour left in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So this this whole sequence took four months of shooting. Wow. Three of them at night. Most of them with a rain machine on the whole time. So insane. I the kept, resources. I kept thinking fucking incredible. I kept thinking while watching this. Uh, it's not entirely fair because this is the greatest siege in history of cinema. Uh, in my opinion, it's one of the best battle sequences ever in film. Uh, but I couldn't help but think about Game of Thrones. <laughs> and like this is how you do a night shoot yeah. for a siege. Light you know, it. <laughs> like light it. Just because it's it. dark doesn't mean <laughs> just because it's nighttime doesn't mean that it's like all blackness and you cannot tell and everything is very disorienting. There's so much light in this whole battle. You can clearly see everything. Yeah, you can see everything. You know where our characters are because once again the establishing shots where you're just like all right legolas and gimli are up here aragorn's over here okay mm-hmm. now he's going down the stairs by the gates and everything yeah you, and like you, you have be, this mental map in your head you could be like a general in this battle you know exactly the layout yeah. of helm's deep it's mm-hmm. it's unbelievable it's like the biggest takeaway i have watching these movies is like sense of place is so crucial to movies like this and i'd say 90 percent of the time it's not there you know, it's it's not helping you the way that this movie helps you yeah. get it. Both in the in the macro and and the micro. Like you need to understand this these massive kind of stretches of land that they're traveling through, but also just like when people are standing very close to each other or in you know a close quarters battle yeah. or something like that. It's, it's all super crucial. Um, another crucial component to this battle and a lot of the just general uh, action in this trilogy 
is it really does kind of wake up the little kid in you. And there are certain moments where you just go sick. <laughs> yeah, like Legolas, Legolas like, sliding down the stairs yeah. while shooting arrows. <laughs> so cool. And then the sh- the shield that he's riding on like kills a dude. Yeah, it's like it it's just like stairs. genuine like little kid energy. Well, and then and to that point, they're also like they're keeping count of the orcs. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, I got three already. And Legolas yeah. is like, I have 12. That's That's the most <laughs> iconic piece of that battle for me it's well so also cool. what i like is i mean just the very start what what kicks off the battle is an old man accidentally releasing his cocked arrow mm-hmm. and hitting <laughs> oh, hitting an like, orc oh. in the neck and then and then the elves are like i mean we didn't talk about it but the elves did come to help because of the discussion we talked about oh ron decided to yeah you know send some troops over and our guy gets fucking murked yeah so mm-hmm. that he he releases the arrow and then the elves are like Oh, their their weakness is the neck and like under the arm, mm-hmm. as if any normal person could hit, like pinpoint that shot. Except for the elves, yeah, you know they're what freaky I mean? good. They're yeah. they're doing that shit without even being able to see them. The, yeah. Like the behind, uh, whatever you would call that, the troops that are shooting from over the right. wall. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, and, but we did talk because it was established in the first movie about how like these elves have like supersonic vision. Yeah. Not supersonic. I don't really good super vision. vision super, super vision it's super smelling vision yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what it is. super hearing vision mm-hmm. um that they can just hear them where they are um <laughs> echolocation <laughs> it's all wrong they're, they're this movie sucks i'm just they're, thinking about crash and my brain is going to nothing all now. the elves <laughs> are blind i think that's what you're trying to say but our our guy our, our elf guy he gets he gets killed i don't mm. mind because i don't think he looks that great of an elf anyway yeah he no, does I take he I, has brown eyebrows <laughs> why didn't you dye the eyebrows wait so question because i did not look it up is that the guy who plays draco's dad in harry potter movies no, no but he looks a, a lot he, he like looks him. like a knockoff malfoy yeah <laughs> like yeah, relative just, he looks yeah, like sure. a malfoy nephew yeah we have a knockoff weasley now we have a knockoff malfoy we're Fuck discovering him. what europeans look like <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> there's so many little moments in this battle that are just incredible like yeah. i could talk about them forever there's one shot that follows like a spear being thrown and like the camera is like fixed to the spear as it impales a guy yeah impossible shots which is so cool what do you think about just kind of because there's a lot of directorial complicated shit happening here that it's a lot easier for like you to process maybe because you're so familiar with this kind of thing what do you think about the orc that's holding like the sparkler rather than like a regular torch I, I just think that's a choice just to change things up like and, and also to differentiate a little bit you know the different sides you want to pick like a, because a lot of these things you only get a second to look at it before you're cutting to the next thing just heavy action so you want to differentiate like good versus bad and a little choice like that can can really get that across from from a science perspective what what it made me think of was going back to I don't want to get into the background but when you light magnesium on fire, it burns way hotter and way oh, brighter. Nice. That's what magnesium looks like. Mm. And you need that kind of heat to ignite certain substances. Well, yeah. well, well. I mean, so, I buy that. I buy this theory. Absolutely. Yeah, but it's kind of a stretch, which is why I wanted to see how you felt from like a direction standpoint. Out. I mean, that definitely yeah. makes sense. I'll, I'll let you have it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Point for Brett. <laughs> Point for director Brett. Um, another thing about this, because it is such a long extended sequence. Um, and we're just there in Helm's Deep. It cuts a little bit back and forth to what the Ents are doing, but that's smaller. It's kind of just little interstitials in it. But this, 
action has like just this whole battle at Helm's Deep has a first, second, third act yeah, all in it. For sure. Like right, right. we have it, them starting off shooting and then they start to bust through. We have the guy fucking running through chariots of fire style to blow up the wall to get yeah, underneath to get these inside. guys don't give a shit yeah, they're just like ants <laughs> they're like kamikaze fucking ants these, I, I, they die pretty easily too a little stormtroopery yeah um one one thing i wanted to bring up about these specific urukai is what makes them scary i think is they make them kind of look like sharks a lot of them have these masks that make them like have these really beady eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's what it reminded me of. Like what, what makes something scary? Yeah. It's often linked to like apex predators. Yeah. Yeah. Sharp teeth, um, like oozing mouths. Like mm-hmm. they look uh, sick. It's a very visceral reaction you have. Like sometimes when you hear them, like they sound like they're choking as they speak. It's uh, disgusting. Well, I mean, to my point I just made about ants, like they are kind of insect like their mm-hmm. armor too. Lot, is just yeah. like it looks like an exoskeleton. Well, they aren't even born. They're like created. The, like the, in the Urukai, Yeah, there's just, there's a distinction, guys, um, between the Urukai <laughs> and the orcs. Do you have any idea how racist that is? And was? also in the book in the in the books, there's more goblins involved as well. Oh my god, we're gonna get canceled. Fuck. <laughs> um, so any other thoughts with like the wall coming down, the stairs that they use. Um, a lot of uh, use of miniatures to get these yeah. shots, particularly like destruction shots and then the coming water shots. Uh, and it pays off. I'm a big fan of that tactic because you don't really notice that water behaves very differently on a micro level because it doesn't behave right. that differently on a micro level. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on on Aragorn throwing Gimli. To I, the- I like how he says, don't that. tell the elf. Yeah. <laughs> That wasn't, yeah. I mean, that's the other moment that just made me say sick, like I, out loud, like yeah. Yeah. fucking just them, the visual yeah. of them, like overhead wide of them just fighting off a fucking horde, like it's nothing, yeah. like well, just it's, fucking it's, knocking them off the bridge. It's just, it's so cool how it's done that. I mean, you really get a sense of Theoden and Aragorn, but especially Aragorn's him his mind as a general we see him as a tracker earlier on the film and then we get kind of more of those leadership qualities and now you are seeing him in a war and Mm -hmm. he's just like okay they are coming down this wall you guys just hold it up for as long as possible i'm gonna go on the other side and just try and kill as many of these as yeah he he asked theoden like how much time do you need me to buy for Mm -hmm. you and he, and he grabs Gimli because he knows Gimli wants to get out there and, and get Legolas numbers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's trying to get his kill count up. Uh, KD. Uh, the fucking Russell Westbrook of... Uh, uh, Aragorn has a really good moment where he is standing in front of like a battalion and he's holding his sword and he's like full the on John leader Snow mode. moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah exa- I mean, it's not as like gratuitous as that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like a little bit to give you like, hey, this guy like keep your eye on him. You know, he's yeah, he's a true leader because like earlier in the movie, I, I kind of brushed over this. But when he's coming back from the river, he looks fucked up mm. like he's struggling. He looks he's all bloody. He can barely stay on his horse. And like a uh, a choice like that to show him like that is really important because now, you know, we're in full superhero mode now, 20 years after this movie and everything has to be everyone has to be clean and perfect and their hair never gets messed up. Uh, that's not what's happening with our guy Aragorn <laughs> here at all. Like he looks rough. Well, I mean, you brought up Jon Snow, which was another thing that I wrote down while I was watching this uh, one because of also 
the religious themes that are throughout this movie, that whole like Jesus aesthetic thing, like he dies and then he comes back to life and now leading them in battle and everything else. Yeah. And it's so like the leadership fits like a glove because especially once the battle starts, we don't see a lot of Theoden actually leading his troops. We see Aragorn doing it and he's leading elves mostly like it's not even his own type. Well, it's it's both. It's the fact that he's able to speak elvish as well yeah so he can just it, they're just showing us that he could do yeah that. it's just he's just so effortlessly able to uh control this mass of people that aren't even like wouldn't even naturally listen to him but he's just so goddamn good meanwhile one of the only times we see theoden during the battle is when he's like huh, that's all they got and then they immediately <laughs> blow up the fucking <laughs> tower he's like oh i guess i gotta go fight now and then he fights he does like one slash and then he gets, he gets him stabbed. yeah he, yeah he's <laughs> Overrated. Yeah, not not great look for Theoden. I mean, he's a big old. talker. He tried. Yeah, he's, he thought, okay. he's also been like comatose for <laughs> yeah. who knows how long. You got to give him credit for the warg battle because mm. that's where he kind of was able to fight a lot better. Yeah. So then our guy Gandalf shows up again. It's like, dude, where mm. the fuck have you Full. been? So I I had, <laughs> he to, had take, to go gather some troops. <laughs> yeah, I had to I had to pause for a minute because I was like, this is a little ex machina for me. And I was I, I went to review like kind of the the order of the plot and what really happened so he did deliver because i didn't remember where gandalf split off because i remember he he grouped up with the triple threat trio yeah mm-hmm. and then he he fell back off well so, he goes to helm's deep and then leaves right no no, no he no. was it with them at rohan and he That's says right. i'll be there right. on the fifth day at dawn That's yeah because he's like he knows that he needs to get uh aomer and his like renegade forces all these like horse riders. Rage I did want to mention because uh, we're getting pretty deep, but I wanted to mention the significance of horses in this movie and what separates the uh, Rohan folks from like the other men is that they're they take care of horses really well. And we also get shadow facts. We don't oh, get a lot yeah. of information about shadow facts. That just beautiful that, horse, like Gandalf, like whistles into the air and like These shadow facts rides stallion, up. Yeah. And Legolas is like, I can't believe my eyes. Yeah. Legolas says that. Yeah. And isn't it isn't it like the original horse? Yeah, he's like the king of horses. Yeah. So I love the little details of when Gandalf is about to leave and uh they leave him in the stable with Shadowfax. And I'm thinking, like, hmm, I bet Shadowfax kind of likes being around the Rohan folks. Like they yeah. take care of horses pretty well. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And then they all show up and it's like, wow. All I'm missing is just a rainbow in the background. Like this is yeah, bright. Oh, there may as light. well have been. Just, yeah. yeah, like it's it's so fantastical, uh, and it's it's lovely, and we love to see that. Um, this is a critique for action movies. Like I said earlier, the the flat plane doesn't work for big battle sequences. This is also a critique for Call of Duty map makers. <laughs> this is the main critique that fans of Call of Duty have had since probably Modern Warfare 2. They are making flat ass maps with no tiers for battling. Uh, it makes the action so much more interesting when there's elevation. Yeah, it just does. And it's it, even it was a little too steep. I was like, oh, are they going to tumble over yeah. and start falling? <laughs> <laughs> This is their like suicide mission. Like they know that they're going to die, but they're just going to like create a ball <laughs> that will just wipe out a f- massive, a ton of uh, orcs slash urukai slash it's, goblins. It's impressive how good most of like the action involving horses is because most of that was shot with green for screen real. for from uh, ethical reasons. Like right. it, there's way higher risk of them getting hurt if they're doing stunts on a set you know instead of just kind of like galloping and like jumping so in place we'll have to get more into that in the next movie because it's done a lot even more creatively um with the battle at pelinor fields you'll see there's it is a pretty flat 
plain. It's a field. But then you have like the Olaphons who tower above, who become moving structures mm -hmm. throughout the fight. So I think it's interesting you bring that up. And I want to take note of that for when we discuss yeah. the next movie. I mean, movie. We, we get a peek of them in, in this movie. There's like we the do. one little, little bit with them. Yeah. Here's a question, though. So the the our our guys are only like 300 strong maybe 500 strong or bet at best the elves come in we're we're talking what maybe a thousand maybe maybe a thousand i, I best. would say less i don't yeah, yeah. At best. let's say let's say a thousand yeah then gandalf comes in with the riders it's supposedly like 3,000 riders, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll yeah. say it's 3,000. Yeah. So we're talking 4,000 at best. Why in the fucking world would the Urukai turn around and leave if they have 10,000? Because they're already getting cooked a little bit. No, if you. So during the establishing slash at the beginning of the battle, when you're looking over the Urukai, it's like seemingly infinite. You get the scale of the numbers. But by the time that Gandalf comes back, and you get the establishing shots of the army during the day, you can see how little of yeah, the army is left. They've taken a chunk out yeah. of them because these guys go down if once you know right. the weak points pretty easily. Yeah, right. I mean, they're like pretty much in a line. And like when one of them dies, it's just like, all right, next man up. There's like just like <laughs> waiting they're in ants, line they're to go die. Exactly. Right? <laughs> there's there's that sh uh, that scene where they're like kind of protecting themselves with their shields as they're crossing the bridge. That, and that's really cool. They're going to like bulldoze the fucking door mm -hmm. and you can see them just falling to their deaths. <laughs> yeah. From that making, making way for the, <laughs> yeah. For the loss. It's just like, Oh, okay. It's like Nobody Titanic. hit you, but all right. No, it's the, it's the, um, it's the battering ram coming underneath. Yeah. But so I'm, I'm saying like not an enemy. Yeah, they don't even oh yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, they're just, they're just going making room. <laughs> um, so yeah. So they leave, they win. Everybody's happy. But as Gandalf says, Battle of Helm's Deep is over, but the Battle of Middle Earth has just begun. Uh, and before the movie ends, we do get a little tiny bit more with Frodo and Sam. Yeah, this is the, important. The Nazgul coming in and Faramir like basically saving. It's like Faramir and Sam saving him as he's trying to like give the ring up mm -hmm. to, to the Nazgul. Um, that whole thing is like pretty intense and they basically make the choice they could hold on to them and take them to Gondor as the plan was or let them go and say, hey, do did your they thing, go to Mordor. Did they actively let them go? I thought they were just a, they just had. No, Faramir is just like because somebody's just like, if you let him go, then you will be a prisoner of your father. Oh, that's right. Sam. And Sam gives a really great little speech. Mm -hmm. You're right. He's like this. You want to know why your brother fucking died? You stupid fuck is because <laughs> of what you're doing right now. Mm hmm. Oh my God. I think that quote is like the, t is that the top quote in IMDb? No, I think that's a different Sam quote. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a couple good Sam lines in here. Um, just about, you know, is it worth fighting for? Are we doing? Oh yeah. There's that. I mean, there's that entire, like who lives, who dies, who tells your story. <laughs> <laughs> who did it first? Is that a Taylor Hamilton or <laughs> that is Hamilton. <laughs> so yes, basically. What does a hobbit Same artistic value. <laughs> shire son oh. of a hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, oh, no, that, I mean that, you know, that bit you could absolutely call on the nose, but you know, that's on the it's, it's fine. Fine. So, yeah. I mean, at, at the end, after all that, we at, after both. So we get two little victories. We get the the March of the Ents, which is a victory. The battle at um, 
Helm's Deep, which is a little victory, which kind of rounds out the film. It's really nice. But then we get the moment with uh, Frodo, Sam, and Gollum. And when they give that, when when Sam and Frodo are talking about like, who, what are the stories going to be like and all that? Yes. The way that that interchange happens got me like seriously emotional. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I, I don't remember exactly how it went, but. It was so, so perfect. Like Sam is like, they're going to talk about Frodo. Like you're so amazing. Like, and no, Frodo's like, what about Samwise the Brave? Yeah, yeah. Samwise the Brave. And I'm like, oh, oh fuck. That's when we get those up, eyes man. from Elijah Wood. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't have done it without Sam the Brave. <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> what are we, we doing to Samwise? You're, you're like Andy Circus. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so yeah, one of, if not the last shot, do we end on a shot of Gollum or no? Well, Gollum has a whole like, yeah, because he has his he whole gets- monologue which is one take for the most part um and is it's a tracking shot like it's very dynamic camera movement around uh gollum largely made possible because uh i mean circus's whole deal was invented for this movie where he's not just doing voice he is like doing the movements yep um that wasn't the initial plan either it was just like it was pitched to him as like three weeks of voice but then, like, Peter Jackson was like, yo, you can you move like a little they, creep. They had some of the technology in, like, a bare bones approach. Like, the um, there's some stuff in the first movie in Fellowship with, like, the troll where they were using some mocap stuff. And, like, all of the actors had to do mocap so that they could build, like, digital versions of, of all the characters oh, co- combined with the scanning the 3d yeah scanning. yeah so it, it was it's funny seeing it because it's like you now you see these shots uh behind the scenes shots of like john favreau making the lion king with a virtual reality <laughs> uh rig and it's like they were pretty much doing that the exact same thing with like way 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 more rudimentary technology well yeah and technology that does sort of force your actors to be together which is better than them right. being fucking apart right right yeah there's plenty of of times where andy circus was just acting with uh Frodo yeah. and sam yeah right? and he he didn't necessarily have to do that but uh it adds a lot it wasn't always you know there are certain scenes that you just couldn't do with mocap like having andy circus do uh, particular Faramir just loves to like toss Gollum <laughs> every single scene. He is just like grabbing him by the throat and just chucking him somewhere. He couldn't do that much. But most like- of the journey with Samwise and Frodo and Gollum, Circus uh, is actually there. And that does add a lot. Do we think that uh, they could have gotten out a little bit sooner if Sam would have been like, yo, Faramir, I get it. Like, this guy, he's really fun to beat up on. <laughs> you just take him. Just let us go. Just slap him around a little bit, just, man. Just I'm, I'm imagining a version of of this movie where Hunter is Sam, and it looks totally different. It's a, it's like an hour and a half. Frodo, die, Frodo actually dies in the swamp. No, well, he's like talking. I mean, is that all inner monologue that he's doing to himself or is he talking out loud? Because he's like talking very loud for them <laughs> sleeping like six feet behind him. Yeah, you're right. Him. No, I think he's... I'm I, more I, of a light sleep. I would have been like, the fuck is wrong with this dude? Like, I don't think he's actually six feet away. I, I think it, it does feel like that, though. But in order to make that work logically, yeah, he's not actually I mean, six feet away. There's a moment in return that is basically that where 
Sam yeah, is where like, they do, like approaches yeah, he figures him. it out. Yeah, like, and what's he's like, up, dude? Like, <laughs> what you say? <laughs> I can hear you. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that basically happens in a really funny when he uh, Faramir first meets Gollum, and uh, Gollum's like turned on his side, <laughs> and he's just like going off, like long ass monologue, and then it just cuts to Faramir. He's like, huh? <laughs> I'm sure they. <laughs> precious. Yeah. I'm sure they cut out a bunch of Faramir's lines because he was kind of terrible. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I'm glad I, I, I do worried, agree. I was worried I was gonna upset you by the take that Farmir is bad. No, Bormir is awesome, yeah. and Farmir is. <laughs> he, like, he got cut out of this, then he thought he was gonna get in as the sixth fucking Weasley brother, and then he got <laughs> cut out of that too. I mean, yeah. I think I think that Eowyn is cast really well, and I think Aomer is fine too. And, and we, of course, we get a lot of Eow- Eowyn's setup in this movie is really nice. We see that she can fight, and that's a really important. Part mm-hmm. of the following, movie. she doesn't do. She doesn't have too much to do in this one. Though. I, she gets more stuff. I thought she time. was gonna kiss Aragorn at the end. They get a hug. They get a hug, I and mean, he's like, "Yo, I'm, I'm still spoken for." He doesn't know that Arwen is gone. That she left to the other place. So he still the thinks the end dying. Yeah, he still thinks because oh my god, <laughs> I just remembered the moment where Legolas hands Aragorn the little like medallion thingy. Uh, to remember mm-hmm. his oh, woman, and sees it. She sees it. <laughs> She's like, "Oh no, like, oh, damn! I wanted that. I wanted that D." <laughs> that's that's the line in the movie. Yeah, right. She says, she says "I wanted that D." <laughs> yeah. Um. Another little, a couple little notes that I just wanted to touch on really quick. The the very pronounced Wilhelm scream. During, yes, yeah. it happens where, where multiple was it? times in the battle it's during Holmes Deep. Yeah, there are people couple. falling from the wall. There, but there's one where it's just one shot, and it it's, starts at the beginning of the shot and it ends at the end of the shot, and it's just a guy falling, <laughs> like a random guy. <laughs> it's it's great. great. Yeah, Peter Jackson is really big on the Wilhelm screen. He throws it in everything. Um, and then also, uh, I just love the the trippy Dutch angles of Christopher Lee's whole world. Yeah. <laughs> Every time we go visit him, it's like, you know. Well, the the first time we, at the very beginning of the movie, there's like a shot that's like zooming into the, the ball of yeah. Sauron. And he's like, the union of the two towers. And then we get, you know, all the crazy flying shots so did christopher lee do we think he just like shot all of his stuff for this movie in like four days yeah, he's just in the is. same room he just doesn't for he sure. doesn't really have too much to do so real quick before we wrap up i just wanted to look at the box office so fellowship made 887 mm-hmm. mil global uh this one uh topped it wow with 951 million dollars global and then return makes over a billion. Yep. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. So it's like each one, just more and more people were brought into this yeah. world. And it's worth it. Then this is why Peter Jackson still gets to make mortal engines <laughs> to this day. <laughs> because that amount of bankability hey man, is, hey man. is it's hard just to come like, by. No, I mean, don't you remember Immortal Engines? Just like from the creator of Dead Alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't direct that. But he did direct The Lovely Bones, starring Mark Wahlberg. Hmm. Mm. we're reviewing that one next week hey bones how's it going (laughs) also uh it was nominated for one two three four five six oscars Mm -hmm. one two editing sound editing and visual effects Mm -hmm. the the floods coming though for oscars yeah yeah (laughs) don't you worry much like uh the ints coming and releasing the dam that Mm -hmm. it's about to start flowing in yeah 
So this movie lost. I think the the score should have won for this one. This might be my favorite score of the entire trilogy. It's, it's I really fucking great. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that um, at, at the very end, at that emotional point, the Shire theme comes in. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, at the perfect moment. And it just hits. It's so, so good. good. Yeah, that's part of why it gets emotional there. Because it's like you haven't really heard that this whole movie. And then it's like, oh, yes. A taste of home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Back to Oscars real quick, though, because we did this last week, Hunter. Pop quiz. Okay. Uh, obviously, this loss to Best Picture. Um, let's Hunter. see. Oh, Come on. A Beautiful Mind. Chicago. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful Mind, mind was, was last week. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, also, our guy, God, Nick Chicago. Cage, Woof. was nominated for Adaptation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he lost to? Um, it wasn't anybody in Chicago. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the other he lost to the other Nick Cage adaptation it's not a it's not a great movie year this year the pianist oh yeah honestly the pianist should have won best picture the movie is great Um, shout out to Roman Polanski who did win best director wow big shout out to Roman Polanski on the pod (laughs) (laughs) oh we gotta end the podcast oh would you rather give me a shout out to Harvey Weinstein for his job of producing Chicago there's not a lot of great stuff right now I mean his name pops up real early in the credits of all these movies yeah wasn't he in in Two Towers too yeah Yeah. Yeah. he's in the credits they can't take it out I guess they told it's Miramax I mean it's um so Supporting actor Chris Cooper did win for adaptation, mm-hmm. which is cool. Other nominees for supporting actor were Christopher Walken for Catch Me If You Can. Oh, nice. John Great. C. Riley for Wait, Chicago. Christopher Walken in Catch Me If You Can? Yeah, the dad. Leo plays dad. I know. I love that movie. That yeah, seems he like, doesn't get a ton of screen why time. Why not Tom Hanks? Yeah. It's so funny that uh, you would they, say, because you would probably say that they're both leads. Yeah. Oh, Him and Leo. Okay. okay. It's, fun, it's like so funny to me that John C. Riley was nominated for uh, for Best Sporting Actor for Chicago. Because he just has this little moment where he just sings cellophane. He's just like, hey, look at that. There's John C. Riley. Walk love to hard. See <laughs> <laughs> I walk the line. Man, Chicago won a lot of Oscars. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not fuck? a great movie. It's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, uh, industry, it's an industry jackass. It is a, uh, right? it's, it's yeah. like a Weinstein special like that movie. It is just oh. all about like, I, I don't Sexual mean, that, I don't mean that in the way, <laughs> no, I mean that in, if you watch, like if you go back and you watch so many of his movies, like the English patient yeah. and all these other films where you're just like, Oh, this is a movie that was like made in a lab to win awards. Yeah. That's yeah. all that is. It's also very like dreamlike. And it's like Renee Zellweger is thinking a thought and she's about to do a little song about it. <laughs> I don't know. There's some good music in Chicago, but I don't love the movie. Hey, uh, best animated feature went to Spirited Away. Mm-hmm. Wow. Big upset. It beat, uh, what was the Disney movie that year? Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. Also, Treasure Planet was nominated. Oh, nice. Uh, this Two Towers beat out, for visual effects, it beat out uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones and Spider-Man. Uh, Surprise. <laughs> You know what I'm not surprised for is that uh, Treasure Planet did not get nominated for visual effects because talk about CGI that hasn't aged the best. Um, what are you talking about? It's so cool. <laughs> it's, I want to see that, that style movie again. of like 3D animation died in like 2005, and I think that we're a little bit better. For what it. movie are we talking about? Treasure, Treasure Planet. Planet. Treasure it's, Planet. It uses the same style where it's the mix of hand drawn and 3D as uh, Lost City or Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah. both of those are really good movies. I really like the movies, but 
whenever that like weird 3D animation comes in that they don't know how to get the lighting right on it, it just always kind of takes me out of those movies. All right. Well, I think we can leave it at that. Uh, We will be back with Return of the King next week, unless there's some other Kaufman movie dropping or something. Is is there any we're not I don't think we're going to do Mulan. Um, I don't think there's anything else. So on to return. And yeah, Brett, do you want to plug anything? Yeah, Spell I do. Break? Check out uh, my Twitch stream, Popsicle Profit, twitch.tv slash Popsicle Profit. I mean, if you like this podcast, you're going to love this stream. I'm also going to be on like YouTube and stuff like that. I'm working really closely with Ernesto over here. We're making some content. Yeah, it's funny. It's epic. It's meme Make lots of jokes. I made a really subtle Nickelodeon feet joke. I don't think oh anybody caught it, but it's <laughs> oh, I'm funny. I wish I had been there. Yeah, yeah. We like to we like to really push the envelope of uh, Twitch comedy. See if people are are That's ready right. for what we have to bring. Um, well, I've been I've been happy to be on your your stream the couple of times that I've been able to. It's a lot of fun. So check me out on there, or just check Brett out with all his other slew of special guests that he has on there. That's right. Come by for not only games, but good banter and professional yo-yo tricks live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's every not ta- a joke. Every also, time you get a dub, you that do a yo-yo yeah, trick. That's real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, you're you're at this point, you're just doing it whenever you want to just take a quick break. It doesn't yeah. have to be when but, you get away. But I got I gotta play it more because it's it's the gimmick. I gotta play off right, of it. Right. So Popsicle Profit on Twitch and all the socials. And you can follow We Bought a Mic on Twitter and all the all the other things. Thanks to all the donors for donating. Uh we will see you next time. Bye bye. Bye. That's a clean one. All right, we'll take it again. Three, two.